Welcome to tonight's Saturday Night Special, episode 163. I'm Janie Pitts. I challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, develop your influence, and impact the world by using your time, your talent, and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to really understand who you are in Christ is key, and one way to be inspired to do that is to listen to this, the Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend, Scott Mater. I know that faith is this beautiful Hebraic word called emunah that means stand firm and to be unmoving and unwavering and not to go back and forth. And if I have faith in God, when I'm thinking about and praying for my kids, I think I worry less, actually. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In tonight's Saturday Night Special, I interview Janie Pitts. I asked Janie about her faith journey and how she came to write the book, Deeply Defined. Janie also shares some of the words that she found that surprised her during her research. And Janie shares with you how learning to understand these things can lead to a richer life. In One area that a lot of folks need some help with is around the area of productivity. Getting not just more things done, but actually getting the right things done can be really tough. I've got a course called Productivity for Your Passion that's designed to help you do this and then to hold you accountable and walk with you so that you can tailor productivity not just to be getting more done, but actually getting the right things done. What's more, we take the approach of looking at your personality and how you actually look at things in the world and tailor the productivity system to your personality. Because the truth is, a lot of the systems that are out there are written really well for somebody with a particular personality type. But if you have a different approach to things, they just don't work. But there's tools and techniques and approaches that you can take that will work for anyone. And we help you do that in Productivity for Your Passion. Check it out over at inspiredstewardship.com slash launch. Janie has a journalism degree from Samford University and a master's degree from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. She has served on church staffs for over 15 years and is the author of Deeply Defined, Understanding Who You Are in Christ. Her book, Deeply Defined, takes words Christians use all the time but can't really explain, like grace, mercy, holiness, etc., and lays them out in entertaining and easy-to-understand bites. Deeply Defined uses the Bible's original languages, along with biblical culture, to help people go deep into God's Word without feeling intimidated. It helps the reader apply these concepts to deeply define their lives in Christ. Welcome to the show, Janie. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you. So, Janie, can you share a little bit about your faith journey and what brought you to write the book Deeply Defined? I mean, what that it's 
an odd book to, to think about promoting. So what brought you to right. that? Scott, my story is not that different than probably a lot of other people's. I grew up in a Christian home. I accepted Christ when I was nine. When I was 18, I went off to a Christian college. I worked different camps over the summers, and the summer before my senior year, I felt God called me into the ministry. At that point, because it's the summer before your senior year, you can't exactly change your major. <laughs> so I kept my journalism well, You could, major. but probably not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> then you'd have two more fun years of school. Yeah. So I did change my minor just for fun. I had been taking religion courses, which should have clued me, but it didn't. So I had a journalism major, religion minor, and then I went off to seminary and I got a degree from seminary. And then I got married and I actually married a guy who is in the ministry as well. So we have been partners now for a long time doing that. And a couple of years ago, uh, a group at our church, I was leading them and we did a study called Defined that I wrote because I realized that Christians today, when you ask, hey, what is grace? What is mercy? What is holiness? They know it, but they struggle to actually explain it. And I thought, it's really important that we know what we believe and why we believe it. And the study was supposed to be six weeks. It ended up being like 12 or 13. I finally was like, guys, we have to move on. But it wouldn't get out of my head. And I felt like the Lord told me to write it in a book so that more people could be equipped to have a deeper understanding of the scriptures because your average Joe isn't going to look at the Greek and the Hebrew or know the first century culture. But I love that stuff. And right now, I feel like there's a lot of books out there that are very maybe stiff and very theological, but they're not for the common man. And so my book it takes those words, but it's fun. It's conversational. So you learn a little bit, you might laugh, you might cry, but hopefully the point is that you'll leave deeper in your walk with the Lord. So it, 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 to give the context. So in the book, you take these words like grace, holiness, the Holy Spirit, whatever, the yes. Christianese, so to speak. Yes, uh, Christianese. The words that we all use and expect everyone to understand what we're talking <laughs> yes. about. And then you try to give them not just the definition in terms of, quote, you looked it up in Webster's Dictionary, but the context and some history and what is the meaning of the Greek or the Hebrew or the whatever words they were using at that time and fit it into that wider context? Yes, that's exactly what I do. I used Bible dictionaries. I used There's a class in seminary called hermeneutics. It teaches you how to really get in and get a hold of and understand. And I always loved doing hermeneutics and exegeting passages, which is just digging them out. Excavator, exegete, same thing. And so I loved doing that. And that's the, I just wanted to do that, hopefully also to motivate people who read this book and learn things that, hey, they can do this too. It's not that hard. And I, so I have a background as a Methodist and I'm in a, I'm what they call a lay servant. I'm actually the conference director for lay servant ministries. So I teach a lot of classes for lay people. And oftentimes the thing I get told when I'm teaching the class is, you know, wait a minute, how do you know that? And, and it could be about the history of the church or the history of the Methodist movement. It could be a definitional thing. And I think a lot of, of 
very solid Christians that are very involved in the church, very active, have a strong Christian message, strong Christian life. It's they don't it's they haven't been taught any of this. It's there's no you can't you don't there's no class on it. <laughs> right. You're just supposed to know. And because if if you're in Sunday school and you grow up and you hear grace and somebody else starts talking about it, you just nod and you're like, yeah, I know what that is. But if there's a new believer and they ask you, what is grace? It So many people get stopped in their tracks. And so they're scared to talk about it with other people. And we shouldn't be. We can talk about our favorite football team or what we did Friday night. We should also be able to talk about the most important relationship and the depth of things that we believe in a confident manner. What are a few of your favorite words that you came across as you were doing this research? What are, and I know that's probably like asking someone what their favorite child is. So. <laughs> yes, that actually is true. I do have one word and I'm going to say it's my favorite because I use it all the time. And the word is be still. And there is um, in the book, I think I use maybe three or four different be stills to contrast and compare and just show some are Greek, some are Hebrew. But my favorite one is found in Psalms 4610. That's probably the most famous be still and no, but the word is raw fall and what it is. And Scott, just play with me a minute. Okay. So Put your hands in fists like you're about to fight. Okay. And squeeze as tight as you can. And I, listener, I want you to do that too. Squeeze as tight as you can. I want you to feel it in your forearms. I want you to feel it in your biceps. I want you to feel it even in your shoulders. Squeeze, squeeze. Okay. Now let go. Okay. That letting go is Rafa. That's the picture of that. Hebrew is this ancient language. There's only about 8,000 Hebrew words in the Old Testament. So one word means about 15 to 20 different things. But that be still in Psalms 4610 is a picture of cease fighting, of relax, let go. And what's even cooler is that that one, that be still is paired with be still and know. And in Hebrew, the biblical culture to know was to experience something. In our culture today, we think, oh, I study math or I studied for a test or I heard the news, so I know it, but that's only head, that's only head knowledge. It's cerebral. And the Hebraic sense of knowing in the Bible is experiencing with your whole being. So this be still and know is to let go, cease fighting, whatever it is, if it's thoughts or insecurities or whatever, you let it go. And then you're also, after you release if your hands are in a fist, like you're going to fight and you open them up, you're now in a posture of worship. So you're ready to know, you're ready to experience. So that is my absolute favorite out of all of the 50 some odd words that I did. Yeah. So why do you think that's your favorite? Because I like to hang on to stuff and I like to be in control and I like good plans and my plans aren't always God's plans. And plus I have two kids. You talk about <laughs> having to be still and know you've got to let go. So I, yeah, that's, it's very practical for me. It's a very real thing that I can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, like literally 10 minutes before we got the call to to talk today, somebody had posted a, a, a meme of the, 
like someone peeking around the corner of a door and the <laughs> caption was me checking on those things that I told God I'd let go and let him handle. <laughs> you yes. Know? <laughs> you know? yes. Yeah, let me, just one more time. <laughs> How's that going? Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of us can, can feel that feeling of having a <laughs> difficult time letting go of things. It, and I also think the no part is interesting because, like you said, it's more of a relational or experiment or experiential kind of knowledge, not just a, a head yes. knowledge that it's implied. It's not just cerebral. Yeah. So were there, how about, let's go a different direction. Were there any words that when you found out what they meant in context, you were like, wait a minute, <laughs> that, that's not where yes. I thought, or we use it differently now, maybe. It's well, I don't know that we use it differently, but I had no idea where it came from. The word glory is a word that you hear people even exclaim, oh, glory or whatever. I had no idea. I thought should kind of glory. I was like, is that a glowy thing? What is this? And the etymology, which is just a big word for where something came from. The etymology in Hebrew for the word glory comes from battle armaments. And you can actually see this in a couple of Psalms. And once you understand that and read the Psalm, it deepens the Psalm, but it means heavy or weighty or important. And so when we talk about the glory of God, we talk about the weight of who he is. We talk about the importance of who he is. And it's God's glory can be seen and felt by us, which is Shekinah glory, which actually Shekinah glory isn't even in the Bible. That's a term that the rabbis coined, and it means that which dwells. And so we see that in Exodus with the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of fire. And we see Shekinah glory all over, but it's when God dwells with his people and you feel the weight and importance of him. But I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. So did you come across anywhere maybe you felt with the context there was either, I don't know if use it different is really the right way that I'm going after, but it, at least it, it just, it gave it a richer, and I think Glory would be an example of this. It gave it a richer meaning or a different meaning beyond perhaps the surface level that we tend to do it. We tend to use it. Maybe I talk about, I differentiate between, sin is an overarching term, but mm -hmm. then you, it also, Bible talks about transgressions or trespass the same thing. And then it talks about iniquity. And I always just thought, okay, they're all really bad things, but they actually are distinct. And that's why they're used in different ways. The word iniquity, the etymology comes from something that is twisted or crooked, and it is taking something that was meant to be good and turning it and making it evil and vile. And so that's one that probably went a lot deeper for me that I thought was maybe an inch deep and it actually was half a mile. Yeah. <laughs> you went to it going, I already know what this, oh, never mind. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a really bad word. Yeah. I, I guess I, I didn't know what I was talking about after all. So how, <laughs> how has this study, and, and by the way, for everyone that, I experience that a lot when I'm dealing with the Bible where it's, oh yeah, I got this passage. I understand. <laughs> yeah, no, never mind. Okay. I didn't understand it. Never mind. Um, yes. Yeah. Because if you start doing some research and, and there are good resources out there to do research yes. and, and not wiki, sort of don't things. use wiki. Yeah. No, don't right. use Wikipedia. Don't use wiki. Don't use wiki. <laughs> uh, but there again, talk to you. If, if you're 
if you're a lay person and you're curious about this, talk to your pastor, talk to uh, somebody who's been done some deeper research. There's really actually approachable researchers. And I put yours on the list of ones I'm going to share with other lay people is something that's an approachable resource because like you you. said, there are a lot of theological past books that you can find that are not approachable resources. No, no. (laughs) Don't buy one of those. It'll just frustrate you. So yeah, no, yours definitely would fall in that list of approachable ones. So what, how has this study and doing this work and writing the book, how has it actually affected your own approach to the Bible and worship? And as a minister, as someone called a ministry, how's it approached? How has it affected that, that part of your life? Huge. I feel like I have a deeper understanding of what the Bible says when I read it and I read these words. There's over 50 words that I defined in this book. And so when I stumble on one in scripture, I know what it means. A lot of times I know what the etymology is, and it takes it to a different level. It takes it to a level where maybe it wouldn't have been applied to my life that I now can go, oh, okay, wow, I see how that applies. And so it's really made a difference, even just in church when I sing worship songs, when we sing about grace or we sing about holiness or we sing about mercy, I really know what I'm singing about. And so I have a deeper thankfulness in worship when I'm coming to the Lord and talking about those words. So it actually has been huge for me. How do you think it's affected? You mentioned earlier, you got two kids. <laughs> you know, yes. How do you think it's affected <laughs> your life as a mom and as a wife and the non-ministry part of your life? It has, again, it's helped me apply scriptures to my life, like that be still and know. Before, I think I would have thought, oh, be still. I just need to sit here and pray. No, that's not what it is with my kids. I've got to, I've got to let go. I've got to trust the Lord. I know that faith is this beautiful Hebraic word called emunah that means stand firm and to be unmoving and unwavering and not to go back and forth. And if I have faith in God, when I'm thinking about and praying for my kids, I think I worry less actually, mm. really about that. So it it has made a big difference just in my everyday life. Mm. So if somebody has heard us talking about the book and and again, like I said, I bought a copy and this is going to be one that I'm going to recommend to other lay people, especially that that want to understand some of these deeper. How are some of the ways that you've seen people use the book? Either whether it's individual, small, you mentioned this grew out of a small group study. So I assume that's a relevant use. How have you seen it used well? Yes, there's actually three different ways that this book could be used. And that's a God thing because I did not do this on purpose. (laughs) I originally just thought, okay, this can be a study. It's 30 chapters. And on my website, I have free resources for people to turn it into a small group. So you would read five chapters and then come together. You can download that free resource and talk about it and do it as a six-week Bible study. And I love that because you really, I think you learn more when you come together because you have different views, different things popped out to people. 
Somebody may bring a scripture that I didn't even think to apply to that they did that somebody in the group will get something out of. So that's one way. Another way that I never thought of, and a friend told me that he did, is he used it as a quiet time guide for a month. And he read a chapter a day, and he read he got my book and the Bible. And every time he found something, he would look up a verse in his Bible and underline it, maybe read the verses around it. And a couple of people have done that. And then the other way is just to read it like a normal book. Just a a normal chapter book, however you want to do that. So there's really those three different ways that you you can attack it. And I just, again, want people to do whatever is going to get the information ingrained in them the most. I'm going to add a fourth way for you. Oh, Um, awesome. Because again, coming at this as somebody who teaches other lay people, another way that I can see this used is for if you are in a position of being a lay person that is in leadership or perhaps does some pulpit fill or lectionary where you're standing at the front of the church and you're reading the scripture, I would recommend this book as an additional tool to use to help you understand. Because I think when we read the scripture, I love it when people say like joyful, joyful, and it's like joyful. It's like, really speaking out about the joy of the Lord there. And same thing happens when we read. A lot of times, if we don't understand the context, don't understand the meaning, it's hard to put the feeling and the emotion into it that's there. So yes. I can see using this as a support tool for when you're doing leadership and you haven't been through seminary. So you don't have that context. You don't have right. that, that background. So I'm not sure if that's another way, but I, I, I love that. I love, yes, use it for that. <laughs> <laughs> that's got your seal of approval. Okay. <laughs> yes, it does. But before I move on, there's a few questions that I want to ask you that I ask all my guests, but before I move on to that, are there any, anything else from the book that you think is important that folks understand or learn before we move on to those questions? Yes. I really wanted the book to be reader-friendly and used as a resource for people to keep close by so that they could pull it out if they are reading a word in their Bible and they forgot what that word meant. So instead of having to flip through and find where you highlighted or hunt for the chapter, in the very back of the book, there's a glossary of every word that I defined, and it's in alphabetical order. And so you can just flip to the back, open it up, and it's a quick reference for you as you study God's word. Yeah. And see, that's the tool that I can see using and be useful <laughs> for the yes. example that I just said. Yes. <laughs> so, perfect. so let me, and this may or may not have been a word that you defined in the book. I, I haven't found it. I haven't finished the book. So I, it's, it may be in there, but I haven't finished. But I like to ask all my guests, you know, my brand is inspired stewardship. I run things through that lens of stewardship. So yes. for you, what does the word stewardship mean and what has its impact been on your life? Yes. And this is a word that I missed. Scott, I missed it. So I guess deeply defined too is going to have to hit it. But stewardship to me means managing all of your resources. I think some people stop at just money, but I think it's, I think it is money, but it's also your time, your talents, your health. I think it is serving God with your entire life because we're called to be faithful and being faithful means that we are going to live lives of obedience and action. And you can't do that if you are not actively being a good steward of your relationship with Christ. So stewardship is huge in our faith walk. 
What do you think the impact of that understanding has been on your life? I went to the ministry because of it. <laughs> and I think it's one of those things I had mentioned earlier that both my husband and I are in the ministry. It's not just a job. Our faith is a way of life. And so when we brought up our kids, who we are at church is who we are at home, which is who we are with friends, which is who we are wherever we go. And you can't turn stewardship on and off. It's got to be a constant flow of that living water flowing through us to other people and stewarding it, stewarding the living water, I guess, is just aiming it, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. not our power, it's God power in us. And it's aiming it towards others to let them see who Jesus is. Yeah, it's, I, I love that. I like that, that image as well. So here's my favorite question, though, oftentimes my guests tell me it's their least favorite question. I think it's hard. If I invented this magic machine and I could pluck you out of the chair where you sit today and transport you into the future, 100, 150, 200 years, and through the power of this machine, you were able to look back on your life and see all of the ripples, all of the impacts, all of the connections that you've left behind, what impact do you hope you've left behind on the world? With the people I know, I hope they felt loved. I hope they felt loved by me and loved by God through me. I also hope that somehow, some way that I made a difference in people's spiritual life, because I think that's what really matters is that their faith was deepened or they were encouraged or they saw Jesus from a different perspective. Because I thought it was 200 years in the future and I was, was looking back. The only thing that really matters is what we do for the Lord. And so that's what... I would hope is that it it made a difference for Christ. So and that is the, a hard question. <laughs> yeah, I know. I jokingly usually call it the easy question. Yes. Uh, though I've had guests before where that was an easy question and other questions were hard. So it's all relative, I think, sometimes too. So what's on the roadmap? What's coming next for you as you continue on this journey? Yes. I love doing just some speaking and retreats and things like that. I can do one night. I can do a whole weekend. I just did a weekend this past weekend with a bunch of ladies in Tennessee, and it was so much fun. And so I would love to do that more to talk about deeply defined. There's, like I said, there's 50 words. There's a lot of things that we could do with retreats (laughs) around that. So I think it's fun because I loved writing about it, but I also love talking about it because when you do, you get to get in conversation with people and specific things that they're wondering. If I don't know the answer to, I can at least find and let them know, which I think is cool. So that's the next thing on my roadmap. Well, and it's probably right in the second book as you go too, because as people ask for more, work. <laughs> uh, like I said, stewardship, you're like, I didn't do that one. Okay. Yeah. Here's book two. It's all the questions, all the words that we ask you about that you didn't define. That's right. So you can follow Janie on Facebook and Instagram as official Janie Pitts. That's J-A-N-E-Y-P-I-T-T-S. And you can find out more about Janie and her book over on her website at JaniePitts.com. Of course, I'll have a link to all of those over in the show notes as well. Janie, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener? 
Yes, they can find the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Target.com, Walmart.com, and probably other places too. But the neat thing is on Amazon, if you hit the click inside button, you actually can read the first two chapters. So hopefully it'll hook you and it'll make you want the book. But if not, you can at least learn that it's not your jam, but hopefully it will be and it'll interest you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor. Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures. Develop your influence and impact the world.